Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you today. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. This is being recorded on Thursday, February 24th, 2022. Let us begin with day five of the Holy Face Novena and associated prayers. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Dear Lord, through the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, we offer these prayers in reparation for the sins which offend God the most in these modern times, the sins of blasphemy, the profanation of Sunday, and holy days of obligation, and communism. Pater Noster, quies in celis, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et nenos inducas in tentationem, sed libra nos amalo, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. The Golden Arrow Prayer, dictated by our Lord to Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre in reparation for blasphemy. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most mysterious, and unutterable name of God be praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and in the hells, by all God's creatures, and by the sacred heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen. After receiving this prayer, Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre was given a vision in which she saw the sacred heart of Jesus delightfully wounded by the golden arrow as torrents of graces streamed from it for the conversion of sinners. Litany of the Holy Face, composed by Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, approved by Monsignor Morlot, Archbishop of Tours, 1847, granted 100 days indulgence by Pope Pius IX, January 27, 1853. In reparation for blasphemies, for the conversion of sinners, in particular blasphemers, and for asking of God any grace whatsoever. We would like to pray, Lord, for the conversion of Pope Francis. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. Holy Virgin Mary, pray for us. O adorable face, which was adored and with profound respect by Mary and Joseph, when they saw thee for the first time, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which in the stable of Bethlehem, Didst ravish with joy the angels, the shepherds, and the magi, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which in the temple didst transpierce with a dart of love, the saintly old man Simeon and the prophetess Anna, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which was bathed in tears in thy holy infancy, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which, when thou didst appear in the temple at twelve years of age, didst fill with admiration the doctors of the law, have mercy on us. O adorable face, white with purity and ruddy with charity, have mercy on us. O adorable face, more beautiful than the sun, more lovely than the moon, more brilliant than the stars, have mercy on us. O adorable face, fresher than the roses of spring, have mercy on us. 
O adorable face more precious than gold, silver, and diamonds, have mercy on us. O adorable face whose charms are so ravishing and whose grace is so attractive, have mercy on us. O adorable face whose every feature is characterized by nobility, have mercy on us. O adorable face contemplated by angels, have mercy on us. O adorable face, sweet delectation of the saints, have mercy on us. O adorable face, masterpiece of the Holy Ghost, in which the Eternal Father is well pleased, have mercy on us. O adorable face, delight of Mary and of Joseph, have mercy on us. O adorable face, ineffable mirror of the divine perfections, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose beauty is always ancient and always new, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which appeases the wrath of God, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which makest the devils tremble, have mercy on us. O adorable face, treasure of graces and of blessings, have mercy on us. O adorable face, exposed in the desert to the inclemencies of the weather, have mercy on us. O adorable face, scorched with the heat of the sun and bathed with sweat in thy journeys, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose expression is all divine, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose modesty and sweetness attracted both the just and sinners, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which gave a holy kiss to the little children after having blessed them, have mercy on us. O adorable face, troubled and weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, have mercy on us. O adorable face, brilliant as the sun and radiant with glory on Mount Tabor, have mercy on us. O adorable face, sorrowful at the sight of Jerusalem and shedding tears on that ungrateful city, have mercy on us. O adorable face, bowed to the earth in the Garden of Olives and covered with confusion for our sins, have mercy on us. O adorable face, bathed in bloody sweat, have mercy on us. O adorable face, kissed by the traitor Judas, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose sanctity and majesty smote the soldiers with fear and cast them to the ground, have mercy on us. O adorable face, struck by a vile servant, shamefully blindfolded and profaned by the sacrilegious hands of thine enemies, have mercy on us. O adorable face, defiled with spittle and bruised by innumerable buffets and blows, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose divine look wounded the heart of St. Peter with a dart of sorrow and love, have mercy on us. O adorable face, humbled for us at the tribunals of Jerusalem, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which didst preserve thy serenity when Pilate pronounced the fatal sentence, have mercy on us. O adorable face, covered with sweat and blood and falling in the mire under the heavy weight of the cross, have mercy on us. O adorable face, worthy of all our respect, veneration, and worship, have mercy on us. O adorable face, wiped with a veil by a pious woman on the road to Calvary, have mercy on us. O adorable face, raised on the instrument of most shameful punishment, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose brow was crowned with thorns, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose eyes were filled with tears of blood, have mercy on us. O adorable face, into whose mouth was poured gall and vinegar, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose hair and beard were plucked by the executioners, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which was made like to that of a leper, have mercy on us. O adorable face, whose incomparable beauty was obscured under the dreadful cloud of the sins of the world, have mercy on us. O adorable face, covered with the sad shades of death, have mercy on us. O adorable face, washed and anointed by Mary and the holy women and wrapped in a shroud, have mercy on us. O adorable face, enclosed in the sepulcher, have mercy on us. O adorable face, all resplendent with glory and beauty, on the day of thy resurrection, have mercy on us. O adorable face, all dazzling with light at the moment of thy ascension, have mercy on us. O adorable face, hidden in the Eucharist, have mercy on us. 
O adorable face, which wilt appear at the end of time in the clouds with great power and majesty, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which will cause sinners to tremble, have mercy on us. O adorable face, which will fill the just with joy for all eternity, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Prayer. I salute thee, I adore thee, and I love thee, O adorable face of Jesus, my beloved, noble seal of the divinity. With all the powers of my soul, I apply myself to thee, and most humbly pray thee to imprint in us all the features of thy divine likeness. Amen. Aspirations. O God, show us thy face, and we shall be saved. Psalm 79, verse 4. Arise, O Lord, and let thy enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee from before thy face. Numbers 10, verse 35. Eternal Father, I offer thee the adorable face of thy well-beloved Son, for the honor and glory of thy holy name, and for the salvation of all men. Holy Father, keep them in thy name whom thou hast given me. Our Lord asked Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre to repeat often the above prayer in union with him for the protection of Holy Church and her priests. Eternal Father, look upon the divine heart of Jesus, which I offer thee to receive the wine of thy justice, that it may be changed for us into the wine of mercy. Powerful heart of Mary, refuge of sinners, stay the arrows of divine justice. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael, pray for us. St. Martin, pray for us. St. Louis, pray for us. May the holy names of Jesus and of Mary and of Joseph be known, blessed, and glorified throughout the whole world. Amen. The offering of the instruments of the Passion to the Father for the defeat of communists, Freemasons, and all revolutionary men. Eternal Father, I offer thee the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy Passion, that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. One can make this offering of the holy face for any intention. Our Lord said to Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, Nothing you ask in making this offering of the holy face will be refused to you. November 22nd, 1846. Let us continue, my friends, with taking a look at the series on Catholic masculinity for the Fatima Center that was written by Mr. Kennedy Hall. This is part nine and the title is St. Joseph Most Valiant. It was initially published on Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. To be valiant is to demonstrate valor. Valor is defined as a demonstration of great courage, especially in battle. Often when we think of St. Joseph, we envision a mild, perhaps even elderly man. This view maybe the influence of certain artwork. Unfortunately, this timid presentation of Joseph does not help, and in some ways does harm to our understanding of Joseph as the warrior of the Holy Family. In a past article, we showed that the census fidelium has consistently seen St. Joseph as a young and powerful man, a man from whom sprung forth heroic virtue. Keeping this more accurate image of St. Joseph in mind is useful in understanding the role of his valor, in the Holy Family. There is no mention of St. Joseph in the Bible that alludes to him participating in any physical battle. Thus, we can assume that the title of Valiant may be applied to any sort of battle. Surely it is believable that Joseph was a physically competent man, and due to his skills as a craftsman, 
it is certain that he could have swung a sword like he did an axe. However, our battles in the Christian life, although at times manifested in our material nature, take place on the spiritual plane with constant ferocity. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the world of this darkness, against the spirits of wickedness in the high places. Ephesians 6 verse 12. Our ultimate battle is against Satan, and in our day, the demon is relentless in his hatred of the human race. The ancient dragon tirelessly seeks to poison the well of divine life by using every method he can to spread spiritual and moral disease into the heart of every family. Sister Lucia, before her death, rightly prophesied that the final battle for souls would take place in marriage and in the family. And our initial footnote here says Karl Marx infamously claimed in his Communist Manifesto that for socialism to succeed, three things must be destroyed, property, religion, and the family. Continuing in the text, we need not dive into the tragedy that is the state of marriage and family in the 21st century, but needless to say, it is bleak. And our second footnote says, Consider the following quote by Father Vincent Maselli in The Antichrist, published by Ignatius Press in 1981. Satan, his demons, and their human henchmen know that the fate of mankind depends on the spiritual durability of family relationships. If one splits the atom, the basic building block of molecules, tremendous physical disaster results from the explosive forces. Likewise, if one splits the nuclear family, the basic building block of society, tremendous disaster results from the explosive passions released. There is no law against splitting the atom, but God himself forbids splitting the family. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I would like to add a bit to that. All of the problems that we have in our society with drug abuse and alcoholism and pornography and adultery and fornication and everything else, ultimately, all of these things can be drawn back to the attack on the family. That's what the devil is going after. He wants weak, effeminate men in society. He wants men to be addicted to pornography. He wants men to be addicted to drugs. He wants men to be addicted to alcohol. He wants men to be gluttons. He wants men to be selfish, to be arrogant, to think only of themselves. That way they can't protect or provide adequately for their wives, wives and children, or they won't even want to get married and have families. So the demons know what they're about, but of course, God is infinitely more powerful and he has the remedy. The remedy is the holy family. That's our model. That's who we should be looking for. St. Joseph, the Blessed Mother, our Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect family. That's who we ought to emulate, to live lives of virtue, to live lives of kindness, of humility, 
of selflessness, always looking out for other family members. And for dads in particular, St. Joseph, of course, is the example par excellence of what a provider, a protector, and a leader is supposed to be. The demons want us completely wrapped up in ourselves, just getting anxious and depressed about everything that's happening in the world. And the latest thing, of course, is um, the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. Who knows how that will play out? Just keep praying. Keep praying that rosary every day for peace. And Our Lady of Fatima has the plan. We need to be devoted to her. We need to be making our five First Saturdays devotions. Hopefully this Lent we can develop some sort of plan in terms of prayer and penance and fasting to make up for our sins, the sins of the world, and to relieve the souls in purgatory. As I've stated many times before already on this podcast, there is no political, military, or economic solution to the problems in the world. The world is spiritually sick. The, the sickness is sin. That's the disease. The pandemic, if you will, is sin. Ultimately, we're all addicted to sin. The remedy is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us his grace in a variety of ways, but most especially through the sacraments. So let's stay in a state of grace. Go to confession frequently. Receive Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. If we're in the state of grace, I highly recommend, of course, attending the traditional Latin Mass or Divine Liturgy. Because although the Novus Ordo Mass is valid, it is illicit. That is to say, it's not pleasing to God. The Novus Ordo Mass... The Mass I attended most of my life is a watered-down, Protestantized version of what Mass is supposed to be. As a, a holy woman once said to me, Latin Mass is the only Mass. I pray for the day when the Novus Ordo is abolished. And we hear a lot of times in the Church about the new evangelization and the new springtime of evangelization as well. To those who are still proponents of the Novus Ordo Church and think Vatican II was wonderful, where exactly is that bearing fruit? In a church that's been racked by scandals of priests who are sodomites and heretics and bishops who are sodomites and heretics, running Holy Mother Church into the ground persecuting faithful Catholics for wanting to attend the traditional Latin Mass, telling people they can't receive Holy Communion, kneeling it on the tongue. Is that the new evangelization? Is that the new springtime we've been hearing so much about? I don't think so. We need to get back to tradition. We need to get back to the way things were when my grandparents were growing up and my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents. Pure, unadulterated, traditional Catholicism. 
No more nonsense. It's time to get back to tradition. Mr. Hall continues. We have all been touched, directly or indirectly, by the deluge of disorder that enwraps the very underpinnings of society. We are correct in taking the aforementioned words of St. Paul to heart, and we must believe that the greatest theater of battle is in fact on the plains of prayer. Souls living in a state of grace, mothers tenderly caring for their children, and fathers resting on bended knee are like unyielding crusaders against the devils. Furthermore, St. Paul tells us in the next verse that we must put on the armor of God. This requires us to cover ourselves in divine help with the sacraments as our artillery against the wickedness and snares of the devil. Fortunately, we can look to the most valiant St. Joseph as our guide. Christian men have been fooled in our time, and our interior lives have become soft and flabby. Too often we see prayer as a feminine pursuit, and for some reason, it seems as if we have dispensed with any manly form of piety. And our final footnote says, Various reasons have been put forth as to why men seem less inclined to piety. In my opinion, two of the most convincing are the following. Number one, anthropological. By nature, a man is the initiator, and he gives, while a woman, on the other hand, is receptive. She receives and then takes what is given so as to nurture life within her. In the spiritual life, it is God who is the initiator, and he gives his grace. The human must receive what God gives and nurture that within his soul so that the spiritual life will flourish. Thus, the religious life comes naturally to a woman, but not so to the man. Men want to be challenged, this is his second point, and exert themselves so as to master difficult things. Since Vatican II, the Catholic faith has largely been watered down, diluted, and weakened. Gone are the exhortations to the ascetic life. It has become very effeminate. Thus, many Catholic men have been repulsed by how the faith is being practiced in most parishes. What reason would you offer for why it seems men are less inclined to piety? Please feel free to start up a discussion thread in the comments section below, and there's a, a list of comments and people discussing that topic. I would also point to a great quote from Steve Wood, who's a convert to the faith from Protestantism. He said, Effeminate Christianity is a stench in the nostrils of normal men. I'll repeat that. Effeminate Christianity is a stench in the nostrils of normal men. God bless the good priests and bishops that we do have, but there have been many effeminate bishops and priests in the church over the last several decades, and many flat-out wicked men who have completely and utterly turned off men to the faith, and they are staying away from the church in droves. On the other hand, you see traditional orders, especially the Society of St. Pius X, that are booming. They can barely build seminaries and churches fast enough for the people, especially young people. I'm 44 years old. I'm not a young man anymore. But young people in their teens and 20s who are flocking to the traditional Latin Mass. And if you haven't already watched it, I imagine many of you have, 
Make sure to check out Mass of the Ages. The first installment came out several months ago. You can find it on YouTube. Just do a search for Mass of the Ages. What a wonderful film. And part two is scheduled to come out soon. I think there are going to be three parts. It's uh, a documentary about the traditional Latin Mass. Absolutely beautiful. You'll thoroughly enjoy it. And if you've watched it, check it out again. Mr. Hall continues, Men are often called to be vulnerable in the spiritual life, but is this a good thing? Yes, it is a good thing if, by vulnerable, we mean that a man lays himself down in front of the Lord to be molded like iron, beaten and chastised into a perfected form. We often hear of God as Father, but what does this fatherhood look like? Perhaps we should look to Joseph, for he is, after all, the earthly example of the fatherhood that Christ subjected himself to. We should expect to find austerity and discipline in this father-son relationship. St. Joseph, in a way, shows us God the Father and how he raises Christ. The greatest of human virtues are habitually present in Joseph's daily life. It is no accident that St. Joseph demonstrated so high a degree of valor. God the Father selected a human foster father who, in even the smallest minutia of life, modeled patience in trials and redemptive suffering in the most exemplary manner. One would expect nothing less from the household in which Christ grew up. After all, is there any greater act of valor than the passion of Christ? In addition, we hear of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is, of course, a wonderful thing. But of what does this relationship consist? As men, if we truly have a relationship with Christ, the King of Heaven, then we have a relationship with a conqueror. Christ's entrance into the world and later descent into the hell of the just after dying on the cross were not delicate affairs. He broke down the fortress of Satan and stomped his feet on the roof of the damned. The name of our Lord strikes immeasurable fear into the hearts of demons. It is St. Joseph who humbly accepted his fatherly role, tasked with forming the valiant victor of the crucifixion. Our relationship with Christ is a relationship with a God of victory, a Lord who desires only valiant men at his pierced side. Examine your life. Does your virtue approach the standard needed to habituate the valor required of heaven? Is your prayer an exercise in self-comfort, or is it a training ground for war? Our church needs men of valor more than she ever has. For too long have our swords been sheathed, watching as the enemy parades in and out of our families, stealing innocence and life. We must say no more to this satanic saturation of our once Christian society. It is time for valiant men to model St. Joseph and march towards this den of thieves. Unleash the power of the rosary and marvel at the graceful destruction Our Lady levels against Lucifer and his legions. Onward, Christian soldiers, the time for valor has come. St. Joseph, most valiant, pray for us. And let us conclude, my friends, by offering up prayers to honor our Lady of Fatima, and St. Joseph, most valiant. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. Prayer to St. Joseph, terror of demons. St. Joseph, 
terror of demons, cast your solemn gaze upon the devil and all his minions, and protect us with your mighty staff. You fled through the night to avoid the devil's wicked designs. Now with the power of God, smite the demons as they flee from you. Grant special protection, we pray, for children, fathers, families, and the dying. By God's grace, no demon dares approach while you are near. So we beg of you, always be near to us. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis, sancti osef, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis. Thank you very kindly for listening to this episode of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Once again, my name is Terence M. Stanton. Please share our Lord's love with everyone you know. Please share this podcast. I would greatly appreciate that. Our Lady of Fatima's message of peace, of prayer, and conversion is more timely than ever. Goodbye, and God love you.